Welcome to Neither Jew Nor Greek, a podcast where we engage in scholarly and scriptural conversations about the cultural divisions and the community of Christ followers, which prevent us from walking together in unity. I am your host, Amatayo Banjo, and you are invited to come and dine. Welcome. This is a podcast, Neither Jew Nor Greek, where we talk about the tensions between race, ethnicity, and faith. The foundation of this podcast is based on Galatians 3, 25 to 29, where Paul writes, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And so the purpose and mission of this podcast is to talk about the ways in which we have been divided and not really met the mission of becoming one. And I'm your host, Omotayo Banjo. I am an associate professor at the University of Cincinnati. And I'm on here with uh, Reggie Lindsay, who is um, an associate pastor of, at People's Church, um, who's been an associate pastor uh, for nine years. Um, and so Reggie, thank you so much for joining uh, the show today. Yes, thank you for having me. So I just want to start with just describing your ministry background. Can you tell me more about your um, background as an uh, associate pastor? Sure. So I have about 15 years of pastoral experience. Um, as you mentioned, I serve as associate pastor at People's Church Uptown Campus, um, going on nine years. Um, I lead 12 different ministries from worship production groups, um, inclusion, which is our path, pathway of involvement at People's and social media. The list kind of goes on. And um, I came on staff about nine years ago. I was hired as worship and um, creative pastor, but over the years, my role has changed. Um, my education background is in Bible and theology with a focus in pastoral ministries. So one thing I didn't mention is that People's Church, which is located in Cincinnati, Ohio, has a particular um, uh, mission that's pro probably distinct from other churches. Could you, could you uh, speak a little to that? Yes, so our vision is um, to be a racially reconciling church. Um, so our focus is on the deepest fracture um, here in our country, which is the black and white divide. And so we um, focus on that. We also um, focus on what we call biblical justice, because um, we believe that the Bible commissions us to um, take part in not just social, but it is, is a call from God mm -hmm. to be involved in um, um, injustices in that are happening. So um, that's kind of what makes people unique in a sense. Right. So having served on people's church um, there uh, as an associate pa uh, pastor there, uh, and also being a black male, I would like to know, how would you assess the tensions within the body of Christ as it relates to ethnicity? Yeah, um, I don't think um, the church gets it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, if I was to evaluate on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the worst, I would probably say we're probably at a 9.5. Oh. So we we missed the, the big picture that God cares for the nations, that 
Um, he created the nations. He died for the nations. And so mm-hmm. um, ethnos, which is nations, people groups. Um, so it's the it's a treatment of immigrants. It's a treatment of black and brown people. So um, I would probably evaluate and say we're not where we should be, uh, but I'm hopeful. And why do you think, what do you think is the cause for why we haven't arrived where we where we could be? Um, I think it's probably a focus of uh, how we see the gospel. And the gospel is both vertical and horizontal. Mm-hmm. Vertical meaning that our relationship with God, but also um, our relationship with one another. And so um, much of the Bible talks about how we treat one another, not only just how I'm I'm viewed in God's eyes. And so um, I think it's our perspective that we think that our relationship with God is the only thing that matters, Hmm. whereas how I treat my brothers and sisters don't matter. Yeah, that's a very interesting point you brought up there. Um, Because recently I was talking with someone who was just celebrating the the unity within among Catholics who may not go to church, but they will, they will practice Lent. And so she was saying that um, because maybe they do it because it's, they're a part of a community. And so we were sort of talking about how individual individualized we sort of become as believers, whereas everything's about our relationship with God and not necessarily us as a community in general. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what made, it made me think of that. So uh, in anthropology and communication, there's this framework framework called muted group theory. Essentially, it argues that in every society, there's a cultural group um, who is traditionally muted, that is given less access than members of the dominant group um, in public discourse and having their individual community concerns heard. In what way do you see this dynamic playing out in the body of Christ? Um, I think at its core, um, the muted group is Black Americans. Mm. Um, particularly Black women, I think, but Mm. Black Americans in white evangelical spaces Mm. um, often not heard and seen. Um, It's easy when you're the dominant group to be concerned with things that only affect you. And so, uh, because you are afforded this advantage of of not having to pay attention to others. But just from scripture that we see that God's throne is built upon righteousness and justice. Um, if an act of injustice was committed, uh, there are consequences for right. that action. Um, so I see it played out, um, especially within the black and white divide, but black Americans kind of become this m- muted group. Mm-hmm. Um, when I also think of this scripture of Proverbs 31, 8, it says, open your mouth for the mute, for the mm-hmm. right of all who are, uh, to, uh, open your mouth and judge righteously and defend the rights of the poor and needy. And so um, we don't, you know, and I guess it's, it's easy to, to think about when you're the dominant group, you don't have to think about others at all. Mm, yeah, but what comes up for me is, when Russia invaded Ukraine, um, I imagine that probably in every church, someone was saying we need to pray for the Ukrainians. And I agree. I mean, that that's it's what's going on right now is very disheartening. I also thought, did we have the same conversations when George Floyd was um, suffocating on the ground? Did we have the same conversations when Eric Garner was 
being choked by a police officer and how powerful it would be if regardless of one's politics, we said, right now our country is going through something, let's pray about it. But of course, Ukraine, or even anything that happens in Africa, if something happened in Africa, it's like, oh, there goes those Africans again and their troubles. But when it's a West or European country, then there seems to be much more compassion um, yeah. for that group. So I'm glad you, you mentioned women because the theory actually, you know, has been um, used to talk about how women have been um, muted. And um, one of the uh, processes, or there are four processes that have come up in terms, and it's called, they refer to it as ridicule, ritual, control, and harassment. Do you see any of these uh, processes playing out in the church? I do. Yeah, you know, certainly in, in Christianity, um, women, you, you see this, um, women being ridiculed or harassed, especially in certain set, sets or parts of our the body. Mm. Um, there are men who participate in such behavior, you know, so women often can be seen as objects or um, not seen as equals, mm -hmm. uh, particularly when it comes to women in leadership roles. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think that was ever God's intent for to silence women or control them or see them as second class citizen. Um, it reminds me of in John 8, you know, this adulterous woman um, is brought to the forefront and she's used really to try to trap Jesus mm -hmm. um, in order that, you know, they may bring some type of evidence and accuse him. But uh, where was, what was the man that was committing adultery with her? You know, mm -hmm. so right. the treatment of women, I think have always kind of been this um, at the forefront, especially when you read throughout the Bible. And I think culture plays a, a lot of a part in that. But a lot of men get away with these things um, that they do to women, especially in the church, without any consequence. And I think that's because they hold the power. You know, they, they're able to just to kind of hide it or get away with it. Yeah. I mean, even when it comes to women in the church, um, the little that I've heard from other people, I think it's easy for men to get away. Like you said, men to get away with things. And when women say, hey, there's a problem here, maybe um, they, they don't tend to be held accountable. When it comes to the ritual process, um, I can also imagine that, that black believers in a majority white church might hear, this is the way it's always been done. Um, this is the way we've always played music. These are the songs we've always played, or these are the celebrations we've, we've always done. And I think in those ways, um, a majority group might silence people of color when you say your your interests, your needs, your desires to celebrate Juneteenth or whatever things that might be interesting to a black to black parishioners or black believers in the church, um, they end up feeling silenced. Like like what matters to them doesn't um, doesn't matter to their church. Have yeah. you observed any of these things in your experience? And not necessarily at your church, but being connected with other ministries um, and having served for 15 years, have you noticed any, any of these kinds of practices? Yeah, when, you know, uh, especially when we, we, when we think of Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. you know, there's this um, Kabata phrase of all lives matter or blue lives matter, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what we're, we're saying is that 
Black lives have no, no value. And so when church kind of leadership is silence on matters of injustice that happens to you know any people group, what is heard from the church leadership is that we don't care about your problems. Mm. Um, and that's just an example of, of um, silencing one group over the other um, and matters that seem to matter to that particular group. Yeah, yeah. And I know we're talking about black and white because as you've said, it's the deepest divide, but I also wanna make room for other ethnic groups. Have you observed any ways in which um, other groups, whether immigrants or Asian Christians have been sort of muted as well? Or do you feel like this is unique to just African-Americans? No, I think that, you know, we what we're seeing in Ukraine and how Africans are treated, um, when we, you know, Ukrainians are, are, are welcome without any reservations as uh, refugees mm -hmm. to other European countries. But if you are non-European country, mm -hmm. um, whether you're from the Middle East or any part of Africa or the Caribbean, we have seen just within the last year how these different groups are treated. Um, and so it's, it's not unique um, to only the black and white divide um, here, in, here in the States, but definitely it's played out just in front of our faces mm -hmm. of how other ethnic groups are being treated. Right. Um, so in your experience, how has the past few years of racial tension, how do you think that's impacted the relationships? Because we, we've been talking about Black uh, or African-American or ethnic Christians within the within the body within the church, but then how does this play out into actually having relationship with a believer, who a, a fellow brother or sister who who is white? How have yeah. you seen that sort of play out? Yeah, so um, I think that some relationships um, within the past few years have been severed. I think some have been strengthened. Mm. I think new relationships have been formed and some relationships have been renewed. Um, the racial divide between believers, I think also has widened. Mm. Um, and, and not to, you know, look at the glass um, half empty, but just the reality that relationships are hard. And, you know, when things happen in our country, we're in those moments. And then as soon as those moments pass, we go back to our regular lives. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just concerned that we haven't really formed deep relationships and we've only formed them because as a mm -hmm. kind of like as, as a checklist. And so, um, you know, I've, I've had people in the midst of 2020 call and I'm so sorry, you know, and then I haven't heard from them and it's 2022 now. So, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I don't hold that against them. I, yeah. I get it. But, um, and there are relationships that have been formed that um, really are meaningful to people. Um, and people have grown from that. Mm -hmm. uh, I say people meaning um, all of us, you know, mm -hmm. not just white people, mm -hmm. but all of us have, have, uh, grown from that so yeah i'm thinking in addition to the unconscious bias um that we all hold but that uh probably plays a role in in sort of muting or silencing a particular group and you know so when you talk about you know people sort of responding 
to issues that seem to affect them or closely or people who look like them, that's an unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. So that exists. But I also wonder the degree to which our um, integration of faith and nationalism has played a role. So that means for us to critique the police, you know, the police means we're sort of critiquing all of America and then people may feel like they have to defend America because for them, their faith uh, is related to, to their national nationality. And I think for me, one of the motivations for this podcast and the work that I've done is to say, no, we are a kingdom that exists outside of uh, the US. Um, and, and I know certain people have their different viewpoints about that, but I was wondering, could, could you speak to, to that? Have you seen that sort of play out in terms of how one's national identity and how they put a, sort of um, integrated that with their faith may impact the way they relate with their sisters and brothers in Christ who are not white? Right. Yes. Yeah, so we've we've married the two. We've married our faith with nationalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really a, a blind spot for most um, because they don't see that that's not kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and God's kingdom is um, totally different. Um, and so with the marrying of the two, uh, there needs to be kind of this great divorce which can be painful, meaning that everything that you believe in um, may not really be what it seemed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whether you believe in this righteousness of our 12 founding um, leaders, our presidents that we've we've had, and you have to come to a realization that the story is not all beautiful, that it's an ugly story. Um, but you know it's it's going to be challenging for believers to um, come to realization that this that our nation is not perfect, um, and that your faith is not attached to um, this nation. Mm-hmm. So I think there's going to be a, a challenge for believers to. And it's not just white believers, it's, mm-hmm. it's all of us that have come into this story of um, this dreamland or the right. dream you know, story. Right. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Um, I don't know if you have an answer, but being a biblical, having a degree in biblical theology, I wonder, and being a pastor and a great teacher, I wonder if you have an answer to this. How do we reconcile uh, being a part of the kingdom and also for some people, they have this belief in, you know, that this country is a Christian nation. Um, because there's, there's a lot of pastors sort of teaching from that place too. Um, and there are some things that, you know, believers might have their opinions about or believe that God is conservative or God is liberal and all these things, this, these integrations. How, do you know how we, would, how we reconcile this kingdom perspective along with sort of believing that that God is over this particular nation and God favors this nation, God bless America and all these things that we sort of repeat to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I was, so I went to a, a PWI, a, a predominantly, you know, it's a white institution, Christian institution. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard great 
sermons and stories of how God has blessed this nation and this is God's nation. And um, but then as I read scripture, especially the prophets, um I begin to come to a realization that I at least questioning that is that has how do we define God as blessing our nation? You know, well, you have 400 years of free labor. So just because you're able to have finance in that particular arena that you're able to bless other nations. Mm -hmm. um, so I question a lot of that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure um, how to dismantle that. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think it comes from revelation of just realizing that, hey, we could be wrong. And that's why I mentioned a, a, mm -hmm. a divorce from this idea that this is not a Christian nation. Um, our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in heaven. Um, my identity is in Christ. It's not in being an American. Um, can you love this country? I think you can love the country. You can't place it above other countries because people should be placed above anything else. And so uh, it's not just caring about the people in America, it's caring about the people who are South and North and East and West of us. Um, so I, I guess I go back to this kind of this great divorce that we need to have um, with this idea that God has created and blessed this nation above every other nation. So, yeah. And, and I know it definitely is, uh, it's an adjustment and it's a hard truth to, to, to internalize. And, um, I imagine for some, it's hard to translate into their everyday decisions. Like how do they vote? Um, what rights do they believe in? But I think you made a good point about just sort of privileging our identity in Christ over our identities uh, as Americans. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to bring up this, uh, I, this idea of communication accommodation theory, uh, which explains how people adjust their communication style and behavior during a social interaction. Uh, sometimes it could look like mirroring another person's speech or, or language choice. And I, I bring this up in terms of the ways that uh, potentially in a multicultural church, people could sort of learn to adapt to one another. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I'm curious as well, if you've seen any kind of attempts or have you observed any struggles or, or um, tensions in, in trying to accommodate one another in their different communication styles, whether it's worship sets and you know certain diction that's in worship sets um, in certain worship songs or even relationally? Yeah, yeah so um, I think when I came to People's Church, um, I was living in Springfield, Missouri, which is um, very, very, um, white and white culture mm -hmm. um to where i felt that i couldn't be myself um so coming to people's there was room for me to be me and i was accepted um and so there wasn't this assimilation um that was happening it was hey who are you bring your full self 
and is actually needed. Um, we're we're enriched by who you who you are, how God has designed you, how um, you're fulfilling your purpose. It's not doesn't have to look this way, mm-hmm. and um, so I think um, this this idea uh, of mirroring another person's speech is um, maybe and maybe this is a strong um, term, but it's kind of anti-biblical mm. that God desires for us to be who he created us to be and to bring our, our full self. So um, to be like someone, um, and, and I think maybe the imagery comes from, you know, we have, we want to be like Jesus, but how we portray Jesus is sometimes can be problematic if he's this you know, blue-eyed um, image, <laughs> and then you see people who imitate him. That you walk like him, talk like him. Well, mm-hmm. Jesus is a little more inclusive of of people than um, how we portray him to be. Yeah. So, so what I hear you saying is, um, because communicate communication accommodation theory suggests that there are different strategies that we use and we have convergence we have divergence we have maintenance and uh, we can either converge which is to assimilate or diverge which is to intentionally be different from the other or sort of maintain our um sort of be true to ourselves Mm -hmm. and what i hear you saying is you think it's better for us to be true to ourselves while still uh, allowing other people to be who they are yes in the church yeah. Um, now I'm bringing up music because I know you lead worship um, at Peoples. And so when considering the power of music and worship, especially, do you think that um, dominant church members might be able to adjust to non-dominant worship styles? Or so, for example, you know, I think about even like, um, again, language pronunciation or, or certain styles of music, gospel styles versus you know, CCM styles, um, do you, do you think they can adapt to that or do you see a resistance or are you saying just be you, sing the song the way you, you can sing it and, and you don't have to, you know, uh, be uncomfortable. I I guess, what are your thoughts about how basically white Christian believers experience music? That's not CCM when you try to incorporate that into worship sets. Yeah. So, um, in, in my context, um, I haven't had any resistance. People mm-hmm. are very welcoming. However, I have seen in other contexts to where people are not open at all. Um, but for the majority of the time that I've been leading worship, I've found that people actually enjoy different um, music. I don't know if it's just, you know, how you... Um, spoon feed them Mm. um um, because you know girl when I started to develop as a worship leader you know I would hear negative things like why they got to do all those runs or why they Mm got to do right right which discouraged me from um being who I was coming to um a a white institution and learning worship in that at least in that style so I kind of was like well maybe they don't like that you know, so mm-hmm. I should probably dial back a little bit so you can, you know, you experience that. But I think what I find is that people are not resistant to it. They enjoy it. Um, and it may not be across the board in every church, but mm-hmm. in my experience, I have found that they're not really 
they're very open. And I, I have a lot of people that say, what was that song that you guys sing? We sing songs that are not, you won't hear on K-Love or you won't hear on mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously, because if you're bringing other nations into the um, into the different genres from different nations into your worship set, people have never heard those songs before, but music is powerful. And so you have, you know, whether it's time signatures and beats and, um, you know, more than four chords that are being played, mm-hmm. um, all of these play into uh, this beautiful um, tapestry of, or at least this mosaic of work that God has created and is to be celebrated. Right. So what I hear you saying is that it's possible to have a multicultural worship set and just give people an opportunity to experience something different. And overall, over time, maybe they'll get used to it. Mm -hmm. I've also seen um, that, uh, at least for some Black believers, they feel that maybe services or music sets are, are sort of whitewashed, or they, you know, there's been an exodus of many Black believers from churches that are predominantly white because they feel like they're having this great worship experience, but after that's done, their uh, white brother or sister is uh, denying their their pain or dismissing their pain after seeing uh, an African American person get killed by at the hands of police. Um, or law enforcement. Um, so, what I guess how do how do you how do you speak to that for the African American person who is fed up and frustrated and feels like yeah we can worship together but you don't understand my pain. Yeah, and we've encountered that with um, with a lot of people. Um, the and the reason why I stick with where I'm at is because we are in the fight, we're in the game, we hear, we listen. And I know that that's not the case across the board. Um, With this mass exodus um, from uh, multi-ethnic churches that are white led, um, I can understand. And I think that if I was probably at those churches, I would probably not stick around either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you're not, especially, you know, especially if you've been in, if you're older and you've lived through the 60s and you've um, you've endured a lot, you just kind of get tired. Mm-hmm. And then what is that, what are we actually saying to the next generation um, of us who are, are younger, who are beginning the fight? Um, do we just tolerate that? Do we, you know, so I don't, I don't necessarily have an answer to, mm. of, of how to react to that. Um, I do know that safe spaces for us are important mm. and um, not all white leaders in multi-ethnic churches are all the same, but hopefully, um, you know, we're able to, have a voice and make a change. You know, we have this 70-30 kind of axioms that we have like 7-30 rule. Mm-hmm. Well, 70% of the things you'll like, 30% that you won't like. And mm-hmm. it, it depends on if you're the dominant group or not. Because mm-hmm. it may be flipped to where mm-hmm. 30% of the things I like is 70% I don't like. And I think that we've uh we tolerate, let's say we like uh as being a black male, we tolerate 
um, we we tolerate because we can adjust. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that we have to always adjust that we should adjust, especially in our faith and our walk in faith. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I have some really close relationships with believers who are who are, who are white. And um, when, when Eric Garner was killed, I remember posting something on Facebook about it and my dear friend sort of defending the police officer. And that was very hard for me to, to see that this person couldn't see what I think is obvious that this man was in a chokehold and was like killed. <laughs> like, that's what it was. There's no bias here. Like I saw it with my own eyes, all of us did. And I found myself sort of challenging him. And uh, he eventually just said he was sorry. And at the same time, I feel like I have to just be patient with the fact that he doesn't, he doesn't fully get it. Um, and over time, I think he's trying to, but it's not as easy as, as I, would, I wish it were because he has to, he, he's lived his life in his white male body for so long, he's never had to know anything different. Um, so it does require some patience, um, some endurance. Um, at the same time, I understand why some people, I, you know, like you said, I, I think relationships have fallen apart because um, fellow believers who are white don't fully embrace or understand what um, some believers are, are going through. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if you'd be able to answer this question, but what advice would you give to believers, both from dominant and non-dominant groups, to heal? and strengthen their relationships because, you know, how can we become the body? How can we be that? How can we be one if there's mm -hmm. fracture between us, even relationally, if that, if that horizontal relationship that you talk about is broken? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, Romans 12 comes to mind. Mm -hmm. um, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in the view of mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Um, do not be conformed to this age, so don't let the, the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, mm. and the perfect will of God. The question becomes that how do I discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God? And the context of Romans 12 kind of tells us this, you know, Paul discusses our faith, what it looks like with one another. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we think of Romans 12, I'm going to present my body as a living sacrifice. Well, mm -hmm. really the chapter is about one anothering. Mm -hmm. So there's this personal responsibility that I have to take on of this one anothering and how I treat my brothers and sisters matter. Um, if there is equal sacrifice and submission in the body, then all of our needs will be met. So it goes on and it says a little few things like, you know, let love be without hypocrisy. So let it be sincere, detest evil, cling to what is good, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, and take the lead in honoring one another, rejoice, hope, uh, rejoice in hope and be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. That's another. How do we treat one another? Mm -hmm. um, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Give careful mm -hmm. thought to 
do what is honorable in everyone's eyes is communal. Like how, how am I seen in my community with other believers? Um, and he says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, mm-hmm. <laughs> live at peace with everyone. And so um, when I hurt, you should hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means that you may have to be involved in issues or movements that you don't benefit from. Mm-hmm. And so it's about submitting to one another and not placing yourself over uh, another, which is hard to mm-hmm. do. Um, because we're so individual um, focus mm-hmm. instead of this community uh, and being communal. And the New Testament is very communal. Um, and that's why I think it's important to learn from our other brothers and sisters, whether it's Asians or Africans, that they know how to live in community. Mm-hmm. And it's important to them and of how we family one another. Yeah, that's that's powerful. Um, so what I understand and what I'm hearing from you is to move from this national Christianity to more of a kingdom-centered Christianity, we really have to renew our minds. We have to shift from our attachments to a nation to God's kingdom. And when we do that, then we can sort of uh, take the approach of the kingdom, which is that we are a family. <laughs> we are a community. Um, that when another person hurts, we hurt no matter what color they look like, because we are part of a body. Um, and maybe then once we have a renewal of our minds about how we see ourselves as believers, um, then we can have better relationships with one another. That would be the hope. So I feel like if we could just do that, then we would be great. (laughs) But like you said, it's, it's, it's not easy. Um, but if we desire to see God's kingdom um, mm-hmm. exist and prevail, we need to, I, I at least believe that we need to do the work on ourselves so that we can um, achieve the mission of, of, of the gospel in that way, um, one of the missions of the gospel. So thank you so much for sharing um, your, your expertise, for breaking the word and bringing the word to help us understand that. And I appreciate you so much for being here. Thank you. Yes, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope this conversation inspired thoughts and move us toward God's heart for us to love one another as he has loved us. May our light rise in the darkness and may healing reach our land.